my dear listeners, and welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Today, we talk to Wes Moss about the common traits of people who are able to retire early and the ones who are able to maintain a happy retirement. Yeah, you're going to learn from Wes here, an expert who has worked with thousands of retirees. And in addition to his game plan for getting to retirement, we're also going to get a deep dive on maybe the more important work that he's done in the research that he's conducted onto what makes retirees happy and unhappy. So lots to think about there. This is a great show. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my 4% rule-loving co-host, Scott Trench. Awesome, Mindy. Great to be here with my always banging on about the uh, validity of that 4% rule co-host, Mindy Jensen. That was awesome, Scott. That was the best one ever. (laughs) Always banging on. I love it. Oh, Scott, you're so good. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business or cultivate today the things that will take decades to bear fruit but lead to ultimate happiness in retirement, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am so excited to talk to Wes Moss today. He is fabulous, and this show is awesome, and I don't want to wait another minute to bring him in. And without further ado, let's bring in Wes Moss. Wes Moss is a seasoned financial educator and a certified financial planner. He is the host of the podcast Retire Sooner and the longtime host of Money Matters, a weekly call-in financial show on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Wes is also the author of four books, including bestsellers, You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think, and What the Happiest Retirees Know. Wes, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Wes, you write a lot about retirement. What got you so interested in it? So early retirement is something that... uh, I think that I've always thought about this relationship, Mindy, between money and happiness. So, you know, what's enough, what is enough money to be able to stop working? And I'm I'm always fascinated by Gallup does this. There's, there's a bunch of other, there's a bunch of research firms that do research around job satisfaction. So how much do people like working in America? And if you look at, if you look at LinkedIn, you'd think that everybody loves their job in the United States, right? And the reality is, as much as we'd like to say we are the best working culture, and I think we are, by the way, most people just don't like their work. They hate it. And, or or they could take it or leave it. And the Gallup poll that originally opened my eyes to this was, I don't know, 15 years ago, and they've continued to update this research and it's still similar to this, but it's essentially such that of uh, one in five people in America, so 20% do love their job. They're totally engaged. They're good at it. And then three in five, Mindy, are, are they don't hate work, but they don't love it either. They're just take it or leave it. It's okay. And then one in five dislike their work so much that they're, they're trying to bring their company down. They, they, they would like to see their company do poorly. They'd like to see their boss get fired. They, they, they'd like to see their co. So, Think of it. Think of how how that is in the in the world that we live in. Eighty percent of people don't love work. 
but a hundred percent of people want to get to economic freedom. A hundred percent of us want total economic freedom. So to me, this idea around just shaving off a year of retirement or two years or, or five years for the retire sooner podcast and the books I've written is really about helping that 80% of people in America just get to a financial freedom a, a little bit sooner than they otherwise would have here in the United States. People in the personal finance space mean all sorts of different things when they say retire. What does retirement mean to you? So it, I think very simply, it's economic freedom. It's not having to work at the job that you don't love. Okay, so it sounds like you are defining retirement as synonymous with financial independence. Correct. Okay. For the most part. Okay. You know, the other thing, Mindy, too, that I've written more about in the last year is un unretirement. This, to me, is... I discovered this in two different ways. One, the, 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 our mission statement for the retire sooner podcast is to help a million people retire at least one year sooner. I thought, Oh, that what a million people one year sooner, that'd be a million years extra economic freedom. And then if you look at the 55 plus civilian labor force, it dropped by about 2 million people in, in that year and a half of the, in the early days of COVID. So essentially, I, I was, I remember checking in with this a year after we started the podcast. I think, wow, we just, we did it. We helped way more than a million people retire early because the, the civilian labor force of 55 plus dropped by almost 2 million people. And you can make a case that obviously not all of those people retired, but they did leave the labor force for one reason or another. And a lot of those people, or what I think of pull forward people where they weren't quite ready to retire, but COVID kind of rocked everyone's world. And they said, ah, I, I'm, I was pretty close to being able to retire. I'm just going to pull this forward a year. There are a lot of people that just kind of said, I'm going to, I'm going to retire sooner than I maybe had planned. And, and then here, as we sit here today, a couple years later, almost all of those people have unretired and they're back in the labor force in the 55 plus. So there is, there's been a movement in the last year and a half to two years of people that said, wow, maybe I retired a little bit early. Some of it could be, some of it is that we've had massive inflation and people that thought they were ready for retirement weren't quite ready for prices to go up by 20% over the course of a couple of years. And they decided to go back. In addition, we have a really strong labor force right now. It's a really tight labor market. So that, that experienced group of people, the 55 plus have been coaxed back into the labor force because people want them to work and they're entering back into the labor force, this unretirement much more on their terms as opposed to working the job that they may not have loved. So that, that, that leads me into a question I wanted to ask here about, you said one in five Americans loves their job, three is indifferent and, and one in five actively hates it so much they're trying to bring the company down. Oof, interesting stat there. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. 
Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Um, there's an interplay with this. You keep using the word economic freedom, and the way you've used it implies your belief that it is just a broad 100% universal wish for Americans. I, I've wondered in the past if as folks progress towards that journey, let's say they're, they're ha- most of the way there, getting close to this point of economic freedom, financial freedom, um, is there a relationship between the way they feel about their job and the gradual attainment of that goal? So for example, do the one in five Americans who love their job, are they disproportionately folks who have good savings habits, wealth, uh, wealth, optionality to leave if things got bad, if got, get bad, uh, the ability to speak up and say, no, I'm not going to take on that responsibility or I'm not going to do it that way if you want me to work here. Is, is that relationship correlated in your mind? Yeah. So, so say that again. So correlated in that they are, there is, there's a group that doesn't miss, they do love what they're doing. They do have good savings habits and they're, and they're not trying to run from work. Is that what you're, is, is the fact that I hate my job? If I'm one of the Americans who hates my job, uh, is that directly related to the fact that I'm totally dependent on my job? And is the fact that I love my job, uh, likely to be related to the fact that I don't really need, I don't, I, I like it, but I don't need it to sustain my lifestyle. Yeah, that's a awesome, that's a really I think that's a smart question. I I think that to some extent and again I I I see this not just through these Gallup polls um but just in in the real world. It is it's it's hard for people to land in a spot that gives gives them both, which is this this career they really feel like they're contributing to the world and they're 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 being paid well to do it. That is, that's a really, it's kind of a hard thing. I wish we could all do that, right? And when you get out of college, your graduation speaker kind of tells you that you can do that. It's like, go out, save the world, and you're going to follow your passion, and it's, the money's going to come. Like, that's, A, it does happen for a fair amount of people, and B, I, we want it to happen for everybody. But it's just, the reality is that's hard to land. And then you end up with having people that, they get into a career. America's expensive. The career's kind of paying for everything they, they're paying for life. And then they kind of get, they get a little bit trapped into it and it's hard to jump out of it. So I think it's, it's a really good aspiration. A fair amount of people can do it. 20, maybe 30% of Americans find that 
perfect balance between I really do love this and I'm making money, but it's just not as easy as we'd like it to be. And, may, and maybe, guys, it's because this economy evolves so quickly. The army of American productivity is is great, but it also can quickly leave people behind. That was, that was going to be another question I would have here is, you know, we talk a lot about financial freedom. I love the term economic freedom. That, um, you know, same same, same thing here. Um, whenever bigger pockets content or financial, you know, fi- financial independence, retire early content seems to get, uh, you know, outside of the bubble of the financial independence community, it's immediately shot down by a horde, it seems, of naysayers who say how ridiculous it is, how unattainable it is, how it can never get started, how the folks that are pursuing financial independence can't seem to relate to normal people who would never be able to possibly get ahead. You know, you've said 100% of Americans would take economic freedom, and I believe you, but I don't think 100% of Americans believe it is attainable or realistic in any sense. What, what's your take on that, that problem set? It's Susie Orman's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why I say that. Because Susie Orman says that you need at least $5 million to retire, and you need to work till you're at least 70. A, very few people can even conceive saving $5 million in after-tax after tax money, number one. Number two, not all Americans want to work till they're 70, unless you're in that group that really loves work. And again, I wish we were all there, but not we, we, as we, we know that not everybody's there. A lot of people, a half, two-thirds, I don't know what the exact number is. I don't know if Gallup's totally right on that, but I know, and I can just think about the client base I've worked with over so many years, most people, by the time they're ready to stop working, they it's 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 pretty rare that people are like, oh, I really love it. The other thing is that you get even someone that does love their job after thirty years of it, they're like, I'm I've done this for thirty some years. Like, I want to do something else. So that's the first step. It's it, it and I'm not I'm joking about Susie, obviously, but the the financial whether it's Wall Street, whether it's someone like a a financial pundit that says you need X amount. It, it makes it seem totally unattainable, right? To most people who say, look, oh, just get to 5 million bucks. <laughs> okay. Uh, talk to a 30-year-old about, is that really going to work? And see how, and, and after a year, come back and say, are you on path to save $5 million? Not many people are able to do that. So here's here's my answer to that, is that I it, the, the world propagates numbers that I think do seem pretty unrealistic. Then I publish a book 10, 11 years ago, you can retire sooner than you think. And the median value, median, not mean, but the median number to jump from the unhappy to the happy retiree camp was 500 grand. So wait a minute, that's attainable. Now it's only one of a couple financial things you need to do, but think of it this way, 500 grand, pay off the mortgage, multiple streams of income, and you can live in America. And even to this day, now it's been 11 years, you can still make that work if you don't have a mortgage and you live. I I see people do it every day. I've got clients that are, I've worked with many families over the years that, that spend of their monthly amount of spending is really low and they can, to some extent, live on that because they have a really good social security payment and they may have a little bit of a pension and they're married. So they have two social security payments. Now, I will say those numbers have gone up. If you were to adjust that, guys, today for inflation, that median number looks more like 700000 in liquid retirement savings, not net worth, liquid retirement savings, and about one and a quarter million 
for the average of of that group. I th- those are those are still big numbers, but they're also not I think inconceivable as if you give yourself 20, 30, 40 years to do it. Awesome. So so one point one and a quarter million includes the paid off house, right? It it does. That's a big part of it. Yep. You know, cuz cuz I I was my, I was setting up for a question around what is enough because that was the word that was a word used really illuminatingly in the very early part of this interview and is that is that your definition of enough for the median uh, uh american who's looking for a comfortable retirement um here and do you think that most people would agree with that definition of enough and it's tight no question about it but if 11 if 10 or 11 years ago you had $500,000 and you had a balanced 60 40 it's S and P 500 and bond portfolio, which has been, t- it's been a terrible couple of years for bonds, but that 500 using the 4% rule. So taking out 4% plus inflation every year would be over $800,000 today. So that worked over the last decade, even with the crazy inflation that we've had. And, and let me do, let me do a quick math on that. Imagine you, you have, that million and a quarter. Some people say that's too low. Some say it's, I can't even get there. That's crazy high. At four and a half percent, and I know there's a debate around the 4% rule. I think Dave Ramsey came out the other day and said 8% is cool. <laughs> you make 12, inflation's four, you live on eight. There are a lot of YouTube responses to that that I think Mindy just summed up succinctly the the, the tone of, of many of those responses there. I am going to throw out there, if you have not yet read through the original Bill Bangin article in the Journal of whatever from 1994 – I have a copy of that article. Email me, Mindy at biggerpockets.com. I will send it to you. It is fascinating. You can do 4%. 8%, don't bet on it. And Mindy, I'll offer this up too. I, Bengen had not updated his study for like 30 years or it'd been like 25 years. And we had our team just, I just, we totally recreated it. And the 4% rule absolutely works. So I actually think of it as the 4% plus rule because it, it makes it so that, you know, it's a little, it's a dynamic rule of thumb to follow. And it's really, it's really more like four to four and a half percent. And that's a range that you always want to come back to. Anyway, I don't know of a more important number in all of financial planning because it solves for all the things we're looking, it solves for not running out of money. That's like kind of important. It's the number one thing. I can't always say number, I keep saying number one. It's a super important thing. It's a fear. It, it hearkens to your allocation. It says you need at least 50% in equities because that's where you get your inflation protection. So it, it, it also solves for that. And then it solves for inflation. It raises your, with what, what the dollar amount you're withdrawing every single year for whatever inflation is. It's so it checks all those super important boxes Yet we have an industry that is totally at war over the number. Wade Fu, Fowl, says you can only do like two and a half percent. Dave Ramsey says you can do eight. No wonder everybody's so confused. Just get an email from Mindy. She'll, she'll walk you through the number, the most important financial rule you need to understand in order to have the confidence to live on the money that you've saved. I wonder what the $5 million and uh, work to your 70. Uh, advice from Susie Orman implies. Was that like a 1% 
half a percent withdrawal rate. And then you're working until you're 70 when you don't need to. You'll probably have all this money and then you'll like never spend it because you're 70 and you don't have any place to go now. Not that 70 is the end all be all. I hope to still be kicking around when I'm 70. But uh, Wes, back to what you said, your this 500,000, which was a few years ago and now it's 700,000, that is uh, including a paid off house. Having a paid off house is difficult if you're constantly upgrading your house and you're constantly spending all the money that you have in your account. But if you buy a good solid house that's going to fit your needs forever and you don't move, it's very easy to have a paid off house and then retire on this $500,000, $700,000 that you were saying. And you can still live a comfortable life. Can you go on extravagant vacations every single week? No. You'll need more money, but you can have a very comfortable retirement. Yes, you can retire. And I, the people that are arguing against this, I just, I have to be nice because they're probably listening, but I want to just shake them and be like, could you please listen to what I'm saying? I'm saying it's possible. Let me show you how. I agree with the uh, 4% rule. I think we've, we've talked about this at length. We actually, Michael Kitsis, I think is, you know, taken Bill Bangin's work and really evolved it even, even further in a lot of ways with those studies. I, you know, if people are going to argue about the 4% rule, I think first they're wrong. And second, we're not going to convince them with more discussion at this point. But where I think someone will argue with you, Wes, potentially, is saying is 700,000 enough at a 4% withdrawal rate, even if I've got a paid off house, right? I just did some quick math here and 700 grand at 4% is $2,300 a month. And if four and a half percent withdrawal rate is $2,600 a month. You know, could, could you walk us through how you'd envision this, you know, median, you know, American, maybe, maybe not living in one of the most expensive cities in the country, but, you know, in a suburb that's, you know, got a four or $500,000 house, how, how do they make that work, that spending work, or at least bridge it until the time where they can collect that social security? So if you, let's do the math on the 700, which again, I, I think of this as a bare, as a bare minimum in liquid retirement assets. Number one, number two, we have to remember that we, we do need a, essentially to have a paid off mortgage because that our living expenses are ultra low. And then the third really important piece to this is multiple streams of income. Now, if you have no other streams of income, then that combo doesn't work. So think of it, think of it this way, 700,000, four and a quarter is about 30 grand a year, right? It doesn't sound like a ton, but it's 30,000 plus whatever inflation is over time. That's one, two, social security, one husband, social security, two wife. Now you're talking about 3000 a month for one, 2000 a month for the other. That's that's 36000 a year, then it's 24000 a year. That's that's $60,000. So people this is the other thing that gets a bad rap. Now, you could also say those num- social security numbers sound a little bit high. I see social security numbers like this all the time. For people that have had decent pr- pretty pretty good wages over time, put those two together and now you've got 30,000 and 60,000 and that's without even a pension. Imagine you work for a utility company for 20 years or 15 years. Then you could maybe have an and I see people that have, you know, 1500 bucks a month. I worked for a little while for a, with a, a utility company. It wasn't a lot, but I get 1500 bucks a month. 30,000 from your savings, 60,000 from Social Security 1 and Social Security 2. That's 90 a year. To to Mindy's point, you're not or to your point, Scott, you're not maybe living extravagantly, but if you don't, so you've got your 700 that lead plus your social that leads to 
90,000, you're going to be at a super low tax bracket by the time you get to retirement, extraordinarily low tax bracket. And with, with, with very minimal housing costs, if, if the mortgage is paid for, then that's, that's a pretty, that, that's enough to live even, even in America. Now, maybe not San Francisco, maybe not New York City, but there are a lot of great places in the, in the United States that you could go live a really comfortable life on that. I'm not, not saying it's an extravagant existence, but it's, it's, it's more than, and here's the reality, it's more than most retirees live on. I think I, like I buy that. I think that, that that sounds super reasonable. I just checked in the median household income in 2022 was 74,580 bucks. So with a paid off house and the income streams that you just described, you know, this should be, this is not, a, a, uh, I, I think that, yeah, plenty of people listening to this are going to say, no, I want more than that. That's totally fine. But this is a very reasonable bar to set for the median American as in terms of what enough is, I think. Um, and the next question is, you know, how realistic is it? How does somebody go about approaching that? And in, in your, in your, what's the simplest way that, you know, you would give advice to somebody to approach that? Maybe they're starting this at journey at 35, 40 years old and want to catch up. How do, how do they get there? I think that, Scott, that's the, the reality here is that as long as you give it enough time, it's super possible. If you, as long as you're giving it, 20, 25, 30, pretty much any, any type of savings you put in a calculator at for 35 years at a 7% growth rate. And yes, the S and P 500 has been more like 11, 11 and a half, but let's just call it seven or you're going to get, it's not too tough to get to a million bucks in savings if you're given it 35 years. So if you're 25 and here's the reality, most people are not really thinking about saving all that much at 25 to go to 65, that's 30 years. It's a long time. My, my, my wrath is right. 35, 45, 50. I'm sorry. That's 40 years. That's 40 years. So you can start at 35 and have, you, you still have 30 years to get to age 65. That's a, a lot of time for compounding there. Well, yeah. And if you're starting then, you don't have to be putting away 50% of your income. It can be a nominal part of your income that isn't really pinching. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, oh, well, I've got to, you know, really live like like a, a miser in order to be able to retire. And and I mean, Scott, do you remember we had a a talk at work once where we were just presenting this idea to our coworkers and one of our coworkers raised her hand and she's like, I don't want to stay for retirement right now. I'm young. I want to live. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't have any comment for that. Medium pocket. <laughs> I don't have that pocket. The, but the other th thought is I think back to our conversation, Mindy, when you were on the Retire Sooner podcast and, and your expertise around real estate uh, and how you do it with buying a property, fixing it up, selling a property and doing that in a really constructive, methodical way over time. Uh, I've had a, a lot of families I've worked with over the years that the, the liquid retirement savings part of their overall plan is, is not the majority of it. The When I say multiple streams of income, I take that super seriously. It is social security, number one. It's social security, number two. So you and a spouse, if you're married. And it's obviously financially a little easier to be retired because you're splitting costs if, you're, if you have a partner or a spouse. But then it's not just that. There are, pensions are still a real thing. There's not a lot of 25-year-olds that are going to have them when they're 60, but they're not, 
They're not dying. They're not extinct. They're, they're very real. Number one, number two, a little bit of real estate income can go a really long way. I'm not saying you need to be a land baron and have every green house on the monopoly board, but one rental property, two rental properties, cash flowing a thousand, 2000 bucks a month. I mean, I'm not, again, we're not talking about, you know, the empire state building here, but, but when I say multiple streams of income, that's, that is another one that can obviously be extraordinarily powerful. I love it. I think that that's, that's the key is right. Is these, these additional streams of income. And if you can, you know, I, I we don't talk very much about social security and pensions here on bigger pockets money, because most, I think of the, the folks listening are really thinking about how to achieve this goal early and, you know, social security is kind of that, that, I think that, uh, you know, it seems very distant to me sitting here at age 33 as an income stream. Um, but it's super real. And we had a big, we had a discussion about this, um, uh, a, a while back with Tom from the Motley Fool, uh, and a, and a great discussion there. And, and look, you know, that is going to be there for, this generation. It's not going to maybe 100% all be there for the millennials, but something north of probably 65, 70% will be there. And if you're not factoring it into the planning here, that that's a, I think that's a mistake because that absolutely will be, I think something that, that Americans can count on to some degree. Scott, here's a, here's a, I'd say a broader example of that. When I hear pension, I think federal government, I think utility worker, we're in, I'm in the South. So Southern company is the giant utility here. And if you work for them, you've got a pretty serious pension. But think of how many teachers there are in the United States. There are, think of how many teachers there are in every single state. I've been working with a teacher for the last 20 years who she was so young. When we would talk about her pension, it seemed like it was ridiculously far off. She, I just got an email two Friday nights ago. It's like 6.30 on a Friday night. And she goes, I just, I found out that I've only got like what, you know, 11 months left. And I hit 30 years. She started teachers start early. She started when she was like 24, 34, 44, 54 years old. You do 30 years at, in Georgia. And this is, I've looked, I've looked at a lot of other States. Texas is almost exactly the same. You get 60% of your your highest three year salary for the rest of your life. Add social security to that. Add another social security to that. I had a paid off house, pretty, pretty much came over. And you too can be on a private island like Susie Ormond. And this is, you know, this is coming from the book, You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think. It isn't coming from the book, You Can Retire and Do Round Trip Cruises, Luxury Cruises Around the World Every Single Day for the Rest of Your Life. Think about having a basic retirement and then, okay, I've so, I've cemented that. What do we call that? Coast Fi. Now I know that I can have a great basic retirement. I don't want a basic retirement. I think I want a little bit more. Okay. Then save a little bit more. Bump that number up a little bit more. Read my 4% rule article. Mindy at biggerpockets.com. I will send it to you and just keep going up until you have the level of retirement that you want. Wes, you, you do, you, you've, you've done a great job walking us through kind of the basics around enough and, and, you know, how people feel about you know, retiring and moving toward economic freedom. But I think a huge body of your work has to deal with this concept of happy retirement. And so can you define happy versus unhappy retirement and what you've uncovered or thought through as it relates to that 
whether it's philosophical or practical? Yeah, I, I think that, and I, I've done this through a couple different means, guys. I've done this through research, trying to, which is really kind of informed some of these areas of that are, let's say, not exactly money based. Uh, through, I, I did a survey. I, I did my first research study back in call it 2013 around this and ask financial questions and lifestyle questions. But then to separate the happy versus unhappy group, really, I took the top two quintiles. So I had five quintiles of, of, of scoring, if you will, and took quintile four and five, the, the happiest group, the quintile one and two throughout the middle, and then compared those two groups. So, so some of this is just through survey data. The the other is just seeing this now in practice because I did that 11 some years ago and then seeing how that's played out over the last 10 plus years, I, I can see how it works in practice and in, in real life. So I think of that softer side of retirement, guys, is the one core pursuits, which is you may not have to have this grand purpose. I, I got an email from a, a listener that said, Wes, I feel like when you, you talk about core pursuits, you're putting too much pressure on me. Like you're saying these need, to be, these need to be your life passions. And he said, my only life passion is my family, and my wife. And, and then he listed all these things he likes to do, like plays guitar every week. He goes to SEC football games every, you know, every weekend in the fall. He has a band. He's, he plays pickleball and tennis. He runs. I was like, dude, you got a million core pursuits. That's that's all I'm asking. I'm not saying you need to have be the Dalai Lama in retirement, but having th three to five things that you you love to chase and that you love to improve on and take up time and give you structure. That's all we need. Those are core pursuits. So that's that's a big part of the retirement happiness quotient is to have 3.6 core pursuits. Unhappy retirees have 1.9, so less than two, close to four. That, that to me is the first one and then socialization and then family. Those are the three really big pieces of, uh, and, and health, I get, which is kind of goes without saying, but that's the softer side of retirement. That is really insightful data here. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. 
what does socialization mean for what you were talking about as a second point there? How does one set themselves up for success in early or traditional retirement? One organized social group, at least. That, that is, so what is it? How do you actually, what's the rubber beat the road there? Or how, where's the rubber beat the road? You got to have one organized social group or more. And my only definition for that is that it meets once a month, right? Regularly. That's it. And, and that's not, if somebody doesn't have an organized social group, then that I think is a pretty attainable goal and it sets the foundation for your socialization. Now, of course, you can do way more than that. And I'm sure you get your listeners like, well, I'm, I have church and Bible study and I've got a running group and a tennis team and my golf buddies. Like for some people, that's no big deal. And for some people, it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, how do I, how do I do this socialization thing? All I was, all I did was work. And a lot of entrepreneurs are like this. Like, oh, I made all this money. I'm, I, all I did was really work though. How do I get, how do I have friends outside of work? And work, work friends are cool too, and they're fine, but they don't, they're not there forever unless we work forever. So that is one very practical thing that I think I've seen people do. It's it that absolutely works just to, to give you a social foundation. This is all in your book, Happy, what the happiest retirees know? I believe so, guys, but I get it confused on which book is in what. I don't even know. Okay, so you got to buy all the books, all, all the books. <laughs> in order to get no, 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 no. It, it's, it's this book. I love it. I think I, this, is, this is super fascinating here. And, and I wonder how many of these patterns are set, not in the years leading up to retirement, but all of your adult life heading up into that point. Is that, is that right? I think of the word, I didn't use this in these books, but I, as I write new things about this is that I probably missed the word cultivation. It's such a key, it, it, we all know that like, again, we just talked about retirement. You, you've got to have a really long run day way to make it, to get to the 700, to get to a million and a quarter, to get to whatever it is. You got to have 20, 30, 40 years minimum for most people. It, it, to some extent, it is better and more helpful to do these other areas like socialization, like core pursuits, to cultivate them all along the way. So you're doing them in your 30s. So important because it's harder to just kind of reset and start when you are 60. And you've probably know folks, maybe your listeners can, can visualize this where you, ha you, you have friends, you have a couple where one of the, the two says they need to get stuff. They need to have more hobbies. They need to have more things to do. I do a lot of things. I do this and I do that. But Jim doesn't do anything. He just likes to work and his, he piddles around and has only, there's only one thing that Jim likes. And so Jim can go get a bunch of core pursuits and he can go start being maybe social if he's not already. But I think it's really hard if you're in your 60s and you're kind of starting this. So I think if you're cultivating it in your 30s, knowing that it is absolutely 50% of the equation for a happy retirement, the money side's one half, lifestyle is the other half. And yeah, I think it's much better to cultivate them over time. Because this core pursuit and the socialization thing are obviously interrelated, right? I mean, like what you just said, like here, here are the socialization, one group. Well, if that's your pickleball group, then you're good. If that's the, what, you know, whatever the, the core pursuit is, there, there seems like a really high overlap between those two things in my mind there. And then that leaves the family piece, which is another one that's cultivated over a lifetime, of course. And, and one of my, I think the most practical statistics out of that research, and I see, I see this in play over and over and over again, is that there's something there. We, we don't, we don't want our, we, we want independent 
children. I think the Millionaire Next Door book talked a lot about millionaires have independent kids. The along that same theme, if you if you, you don't want your kid you you don't want your adult children to live with you, but you you want them to live near you. And those uh, uh, parents that live near half their kids, so let's call it you got four kids, you live near two of them. And they're in the, in the same city, let's say, or the same state. So you can, you can see them on a relatively frequent basis. The happiness levels there are through the roof relative to someone that has three kids and all three kids live in a different state. That's, that's not great long term for, for the retiree. Uh, and it's not great. And, and you don't have a ton of control over that. And, but it, it's something that I just think that I, it's super important to be near your adult kids in one way or another. As an adult kid, not close to where my parents are currently living, I agree. It uh, has changed our relationship. It's changed their relationship with their grandkids because you're just not there to see them. Um, I I completely agree. Mindy, here's the other thing. Is it the question I have on, on all of this? Is it just a statistic or is it prescriptive? Like, can you do something about it? And the answer is on this, this is one of the harder ones to do something about it, but it's, it's t- not impossible. And I've, I've seen families that are, and I've seen, and I think about our, our family, uh, I've got four, we, I'm one of four siblings and one of my siblings just by work and school, he, it, it, he was pulled from the East coast to the West. And once you go to California, you get like sucked in and it's really hard to leave because you can surf and you can snowboard all in the same day if you really wanted to. And if you married somebody from there, their family's from there. And guess what? You ain't leaving. So it's, it's not like, it's not the parents fault that the kids just scattered all over the country, but I've seen, I've seen very often a a family in their sixties or seventies make the conscious decision to say, gosh, I think we really liked, I thought we were going to like Florida but I have three kids and six grandkids and they're in Georgia and I'm going, I'm going back to Georgia. Cause that, I, that is, that is home for me. And it's home because my kids are still there and my grandkids are there. And that's something you can do. You can do something about it. You can move. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be a conscious decision and it has to be something that, you know, everybody's on board with. And if you can't be by all of your kids, maybe three of them are in, you know, a certain location or close enough that you could be, by most of them. Um, but yeah, uh, it was not meant to be for me and my family. And that's, you know, that's just the way it happens. And you can pick your favorite. Exactly. Yes. Pick your favorite kid. That always works out well. (laughs) You have four kids, right, Wes? Which one's your favorite? They're not adults yet. (laughs) So I'm sure I'll have a favorite the older they get (laughs) right now. They're all, they're not super. Yeah. They're still young enough that I would say I still love them equally. Yes, yes, I love my girls equally as well. Scott only has one, so he can have a favorite right now. Yeah, I got a lot of I got a lot of work to do in pursuit of retirement here, and and getting first those kids and then those grandkids, and then uh, you know your baby's one. You can't have grandkids <laughs> for a while. Got a lot of cultivation to do. Okay, Wes, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate your time. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I would just say that the theme today, and I know that this is this is a theme for you guys, but it's the this attainability that it's not impossible to get to whether it's financial freedom or economic I don't know why I call it economic freedom, but to me that's that's the term that that resonates. 
and all of it's hard and it's all and it takes a long time and if you look at the wealth statistics in america you could just they're 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 pretty dour you know you can easily if you just scary retirement statistics and it's 60% of people have not you know have one year of retirement savings you know uh so you you hear a lot of scary statistics and I think it knocks people down before they get started very often. I can't even, I can't even win at this game. So I'm not even going to start the race. And I think the work that you are doing and we're trying to do as educators is we're trying to make it more attainable for more people. It'll never be for everybody, but if we can take it from only 5% of people can really do this to 25% of people that can that can do this. I think that's a good thing for the world. Wes, I'm sorry. I know we just asked for a wrap-up question, but I, had, I do have one more here. You mentioned that there was the cultivation of core pursuits, the socialization, the family. Did wealth, the, the number, end up anywhere on the list and how far down was it? Yeah, okay. So the, the answer was yes, but then it plateaued. Um, it absolutely was. It was. It was a, there was more, there was absolutely more happiness per uh, whether it was whether it was income, whether it was savings, liquid retirement savings, happiness levels rose, the more income rose, and the more overall liquid savings rose. However, at a certain point, there was diminishing marginal happiness per new dollars. That's a fascinating topic, and that's what that's what I found in my research. However, there's research out of Wharton that that says. That's not true. And happiness levels just keep going up and up and up and up and up and up the more money we have. It sounds like it's going to be like the it's the new 4% rule. Nobody will argue it forever. There's no perfect answer. I I just think that it's really just about getting to a foundational number. And then beyond that, it doesn't really increase your happiness. More money, more happiness. I guess we'll be having to do more bigger pockets money here for a long time than if, if uh, that research proves out. Well, and that's why, and that's why, let me, and I want to clarify this too. To me, those happy versus unhappy, that, that inflection point, that's that, that median of 700,000. And I think it's, and happiness may not be the perfect word for that. It may just be, uh, I've got enough financial foundation to not be, I'm not worried. I can make things work forever. Uh, I think that's an inflection point. Awesome. Wes, where can people find out more about you and read these books and get access to some of the data and the research that you've uncovered in your awesome career here? So just retire sooner team.com retire sooner team. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the discussion and um, thanks for all the work you do. Yeah. Thank you guys. Really. It's so fun to be on a podcast. Um, Thank you guys. Thank you, Wes. This was super, super fun. I always love talking to you and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mindy. Holy cat, Scott. That was Wes Moss and that was a fantastic episode. I loved hearing from him. I loved hearing the tips for what makes somebody happy. Absolutely agree 100%. To sum it up, you need to have something to do in retirement. And if you don't, you are going to have a very miserable and rather short retirement because, uh, can I be very blunt, Scott? You're going to die. Right, you are, Mindy. Uh, 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 yeah, well, on, on that particularly dark note, here, here, here are some things that I, I, <laughs> that I took away from it though, right? Is 
you know, we, we've talked extensively about the game plan to get there. I, I love his definition of enough, right? I mean, every retirement and every journey to financial freedom begins with defining the goalposts and setting achievable goals and getting them, knocking those out and not having them move and become more and more and more and more and more over time. And I thought his definition of enough was very carefully constructed, very thoughtful and very powerful. Now, an early retiree, someone in their 30s, 40s, or maybe early 50s, probably going to need to be a little bit bump those numbers up a little bit because social security is so far away um, that they're going to need other income streams and will probably be uncomfortable with a diminishing net worth along that uh, journey to traditional retirement age. But um, the principles are, are really helpful there. And I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I got even more out of the, what makes you happy in retirement discussion than I did about uh, out of the game plan uh, piece and lots to think about there in terms of cultivating you know, I'm glad we had that last question about a uh, total net worth because there is a point to accumulating a little bit more and there is additional happiness probably that comes with having a, the more optionality with a bigger pile of money at the end of the day. But more important than that are the core pursuits, are the family dynamics that you start in your 20s, 30s, growing up, uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, the friends and the social circles that you cultivate. And, you know, that threw some light on the fact that you know, um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I played, uh, more video games, uh, rather than going outside growing up because that is a lifetime hobby and rugby. While I loved it very much, it's probably not something I'm able to do in, uh, uh, retirement, whether early or traditional. So what about you, Mindy? What did you, what, what did you learn from today's conversation? Well, I'm definitely not going to be playing rugby when I'm 70. Uh, but if you do, Scott, you should play a 70 and up rugby league. I bet there's other ruggers out there that are, that are wanting to play, but you know, there's, Sevens rugby, so seventies. I think like that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, I I could not agree more with his uh, core pursuits. Yes, I'll, you need something to do in your retirement, and I have seen this. Um, I, I like that he says core pursuits. I have seen this in Carl's early retirement, where he is pursuing everything. He wants to do this and this and this and this and this, and he is busier now than he ever was when he had an actual job and, you know, figure it out now what it is that you love to do. Because Carl has started to, he's been retired for five years. He is starting to figure out what he likes to do, and what he doesn't like to do, but it's been a process and he could have been paying attention to this a little bit sooner, but he was so focused on the end goal of retiring early that he didn't he knew he had to have something to do in retirement, but he didn't really focus on core pursuits. So, you know, just like you've got a bucket list, think about your retirement bucket list. What are the things that you want to spend your days doing? I just think that there's there's not enough thought given to actually what you're going to be doing after retirement, um, especially in the early retirement community. So uh, think about how you're going to be spending your days more so than just collecting the money. Yeah, running to something rather than away from something, right? Exactly. That. Oh, wow. Thanks, Scott. Succinct is his middle name. All right, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Succinct Trench, and I am Mindy, not Succinct Jensen, saying see you around, hound. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. 
And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. BiggerPockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.